All right, June. Welcome to the November series of episodes. I'm rocking a beautiful stash. Uh, you didn't get the memo or maybe didn't get as genetically gifted as your white boyfriend. I'm working on it. I'm trying my best here, Logan. All right. Well, I said this last time, but what we may lack in appearance, we make up for in effort in education, June. We're two psych residents on the Psych Guide podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Dr. Logan Noon. This is Dr. June Chun. We're both psych residents. Um, we're here to educate you today about men's mental health issues. That's really why we're doing um, a Movember series. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about various issues, um, online dating, uh, just dating in general, um, men's loneliness, porn addiction. I'm really excited to get into all to this, into all these topics with you, June. Um, quick shout out to Movember. It's highlighting awareness on uh, testicular cancer, prostate cancer, and uh, men's mental health. Okay, so let's dive in, June. All right, we're going to talk about is online dating contributing to men leaving the dating pool? What are your thoughts? Right, because Logan, I think you have some stats on this, right? What are the numbers about the pre-pandemic number of men, uh, men that are in relationships versus the post-pandemic? Because I think there was a significant drop-off, right? Yes, here we go. Here we go. From the Pew Research Center that we both kind of stumbled across here researching this episode, kind of did a whole bunch of studies on dating, online dating. This looks like it was released in 2012. And so in 2019, this is a pre-pandemic, pre-COVID world, right? 61% of men define themselves as single, okay? And this is someone who's looking for like a romantic relationship or casual dates. That's how we're defining this as single, okay? Now in 2022, that same demographic is only reporting 50% of the time they are actually looking for a committed and romantic relationship or casual dates. So this is a drop off of 11%. So over just three years, we saw 11% decrease in men looking for romantic or, you know, casual partners, whatever. But this is a pretty dramatic change. What do you think caused this? Well, I think we must discuss the pandemic, right? When you say from 20, yeah, the, the years that you talked about, those are, um, you know, obviously the time period where our world went through a major change. And I think a lot of there's a lot of implications for the dating scene as well. Of course, things like online dating, popularity of Tinder was on the rise and pretty ubiquitous and popular even pre pandemic. But along with the, you know, the social isolation, um, the lack of in person activities, I would only assume that during those pandemic years, um, the amount of people who are searching out relationships only increased on this online platform. And it's very interesting to think about why those numbers are what they are, especially when you look at men, right? What are men's experiences on these dating platforms that's uh, causing men to drop out in pretty significant numbers? Um, so the first thing I want to highlight is here, I'm going to let, let me pull up this uh, little graph here, Logan. And I think this uh, this graph, I'm going to show you this graph from Pew Research. I think it's, it speaks significant volumes about the different experiences that men and women have. Um, and so and then real go. quick there, while you're pulling that up, I just kind of want to remind everyone, right? Like, remember that pandemic world where there are casual potential dating environments. And what I mean by maybe this is an environment where you would just stumble into somebody, strike up a, a conversation those weren't as nearly as prevalent. People weren't going to bars, weren't going to coffee shops, churches, uh, sporting events, music outings. Like that was a world that didn't exist. So 
or at least was highly restricted in certain places of our country. So I think that's what drove so many more people into this online dating marketplace. And so June, let's get into like what kind of experiences those people had. Got to pull Let's up. do it, Logan. Let's do it. But a quick commentary on what you just said, Logan. I think a part of this discussion has to center around the effects, the socialization um, impacts that COVID pandemic has had on our youth today. Um, because, I mean, it's not like it was easy prior to COVID for a young guy, you know, to maybe see a, you know, a pretty lady that they like on the streets, walk up to her, start, strike up a conversation and try to get her number or something like that, try to get a date out of it. But what has what was the impact of COVID on our social skills? Has our social skills in a way atrophied in a way um, during the during the years of social isolation that we went through? I think a lot of people are reporting increased hesitation to approach um, potential partners of the opposite gender or same gender, whatever, whatever your preference is. Um, but the point is that after the pandemic, a lot of people feel less comfortable engaging with people for potential dates in, in, in person. So I think that's one of the reasons why uh, men's, the number of men dating um, has significantly dropped. But when we talk specifically about online, online dating, here you go. I'm sharing my screen right now. Here, check this out, Logan. Are you able to see this okay? Yes. So this is from PewResearch.org, right? So this is graph number six. Um, women who have used online dating platforms in the past year are more likely to feel overwhelmed by the number of messages that they get, while men are more likely to feel insecure about the lack of messages. So, yeah, check that out on this infographic right here. Right, Overwhelmed right. by the number of messages, significantly more women are reporting that and vice versa, lack of being insecure about the lack of messages that you receive, significantly more men are reporting that. So if you're constantly in an environment where you're not being validated, where um, every interaction you're essentially being disappointed, of course, people are not likely to continue to engage on those platforms and they're more likely to check out. And perhaps as our social um, socialization skills are continue to dwindle, um, especially in the post-COVID environment, and more and more people kind of enter these um, online dating platforms, and they end up being significantly disappointed with their experiences overall, that may lead to a large number of men potentially checking out completely on the dating scene. What are your thoughts, Logan? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it's possible. You know, so many, there was one stat that I read, like, 20 or 25% of new marriages these days met on an online platform. I think so it's becoming more and more prevalent. And I think part of part of that is true, right? Like maybe our youth um, because of COVID and, and maybe a whole other reasons are just not as skilled with their social skill, social skills. But, you know, I think it, it's much bigger than just COVID, right? There's all these stats that more and more adolescents are getting their license at later dates. More and more uh, young um, adults, not even just specifically men, but are living with their uh, parents, you know, instead of moving out around, you know, between the ages of 22 to 30 or whatever, let's call it. I think it's even bigger issues than just those individuals desire. You know, it's, it's a tough economy. You know, it's hard to uh, the cost of living is so high these days. So I think there's a lot of different things kind of contributing into this. And also what I think is very important, bringing it back to the online dating that you were discussing. Do you happen to know the, the numbers of individuals who are on dating platforms? Because I know it skews more men than, than women that use these, but I don't have the stats. Do you, June? Okay, I don't have the exact stats, but I can pull up an infographic that I have prepared. Okay. Are you okay with me doing that? Okay. Yeah. All right. Here we go. 
So this is, and here, let me, let me give this little caveat. How accurate are these numbers? I'm not sure. Um, I've looked at multiple different sites. A lot of these uh, numbers seem to be compiled by, um, you know, like advertising firms, um, blog sites. Uh, mm -hmm. So this is, this is one that I found. And what I want you to draw your attention to here is look at the gender imbalance of the people that are actually active on Tinder. So you can, you can see worldwide, about 75% of Tinder users are male here in the United States. 65% of users are male. Um, Europe, oddly enough, they seem to have a very good balance. Right. About that, that's what jumped out to me. That was like, well, yeah. that's odd. Well, how about India? Does India jump out at you? 93% yeah, I mean, male, 7% female? I was like, whoa, that, that was insane to me. I, I, don't, I don't know enough, I guess, about Indian culture to even comment or understand that in any capacity. Um, that's wild. We'll have to get uh, maybe someone from that who understands that culture well, like maybe educate that on us or us on that, excuse me. Do you have any thoughts? Well, I mean, I think it's just a tremendously, maybe unfair is not the right word to use, but it's an unpleasant and an environment where men are at a disadvantage to say the least, just the pure numbers of it. Um, you know, there's the, the chances of you matching with somebody is pretty low um, compared to to their uh, female counterparts, right? And if you also look at the actual number of users that pay for Tinder services, um, are you seeing this Tinder yes. gender imbalance worldwide paying users? So 75% of active users are male, 24% are female. And out of all the users, 96% of all paying users happen to be male and only 4% are female. So you can tell from this that men are much more invested, at least in the, ter at least in the numbers of how many swipes um, that, they, that they give uh, compared to their female counterparts. I thought this was very interesting as well. Right, right. And you know, I think it's, it's, it just kind of comes down to the nature of online dating. I said this in, in our other recording that got screwed up. You know, in that same Pew study, there were basically similar desires to engage in online dating between men and women for meeting a long-term spouse, dating casually, even making new friends. But there really was a significant difference in this Tinder online dating or whatever other app, who cares if it's not even Tinder, is not going all that well for me. Um, I have... I maybe live with some kind of anxiety and or I don't like those kind of social situations. I don't feel comfortable approaching uh, someone... Uh, I'm just not going to date. Why would I do that? Why would I even put myself out there? It's just easier to get this need met really easily. So I actually do kind of think that the big drop off in men leaving the dating pool is one bad experiences on these dating platforms and two porn. Yeah. So you're not alone in that, Logan. In fact, a Pew Research Center data has found that nowadays 63% of men under 30 are electively single up from 51% in 2019, and experts blame erotic alone time. As erotic alone time. Yep, my new favorite phrase. Man, you said that again 10, 10 minutes ago, and I'm going to have to build that into my life in some capacity. Erotic alone time. Yeah, very PC of way. Very, very PC. PC way, yeah. There's I'll a lot of things about PC stuff. language I complain about, except this one. Erotic alone time. Yeah. Yeah, Logan. So I think I had a pretty different reaction to um, this explanation that pornography is one of the contributing factors to the decline in the world of men's dating. Um, I think I was actually like very 
put off by it um, because although I understand what um, you know where that line of thought came from, I also think a part of it there's a Uh, there's an underlying premise that all men are looking for in a relationship is casual, casual sex. Um, and I think we discussed that infographic from the Pew Research that 31% of men who participate in online dating report that they're in it for casual sex. I don't know. Do you think 31% is a lot or uh, not too significant? Because honestly, I thought I mean, it would be I, higher. I, I think that actually you're kind of maybe ignoring a lot of realities of the world around you. You know, you are not someone who I believe engaged in in pursuing your partner for those reasons, right? You know, you're um, a family man. You're, you know, you're a role model. But let's look at um, worldwide as a whole. You know, you could argue, right, that there are less um, stable family environments than there were perhaps 50 years ago, right? There's more prevalence of divorce. There's more prevalence of a uh, single parenting, right? Um, so I actually think it is extremely fair to say as a society, perhaps both genders, but maybe even I would, I think it's fair to say, excuse more male are pursuing casual sex. And maybe they don't, they fear that um, sense of commitment so much in maybe engaging in a marriage or they know the pain of a divorce or, um, you know, looking at, you know, talking about the gender differences of, oh, she's a slut if, if she sleeps around, but a man in, in many ways can be praised, right? For, for being a playboy, right? Um, so I actually think it is fair that casual sex The desire, the normalization of casual sex is a huge influence here on men deciding to leave the dating pool. I guess my concern is that that line of thinking diminishes um, the loneliness crisis that especially young men face today in our society. Um, men are, they have the fewest friends than they've ever had in the past. Um, they're reporting records amount of loneliness. And we can see this reflected in some of the deaths of despair, right? The suicide, mm -hmm. the substance use disorders that's going on in our communities. I mean, a lot of that stems from a lack of purpose. And traditionally speaking, I mean, like what has the male purpose been for a vast majority of humanity, for the vast majority of males that ever existed? It's like get married, have a family, do everything that you can to support your family, right? And obviously today we're living in a very different environment where this traditional perception of the male figure as the breadwinner, the financial um, pillar in the household, it's not true as it once was. And I think that's, that also contributes a lot to the, to the abysmal um, results that we have for men's mental health. But just going back, I think when you, when you try to simplify um, the decrease in men's participation in dating, It really, it, I, I worry that we're doing them a disservice because, I mean, men, I, I would argue that the vast majority of men aren't dating just specifically for casual sex, as reflected in that Pew Research, right? Only 31% of them reported that they're on doing online dating for right. that. Uh, for that purpose. Um, but at the same time, I think a lot of men want to date for the companionship because of the epidemic of loneliness that men face as a, you know, as sure. a generation. And, and I don't and disagree with you, but, but let me push you a little bit, June, because, you know, you're extremely, you're, you're a physician, right? Extremely smart guy. My theory is kind of men, I think we should really talk about the stats of why men left the dating pool specifically. And I want to get your, your real theory on this. And we're talking out of our ass. It's fine. I think it's a lot to do with poor experience of online dating and porn, but I'm curious if you, if you think it's something different, what is it? Why do you think men left the dating pool? 
Well, I think I think porn is a part of it, right? You do have a lot of people checking out, but I don't think that tells the whole story. So I, I guess my point is that we're missing the bigger picture. And by stating that this is simply a porn addiction issue, we're ignoring a lot of the other struggles of men. And that's my biggest fear, right? Because men are doing horrible in our society today for various reasons, um, not just because of the lack of um, success in the dating field, not just because of the economic face of uh, of economic stressors that they currently face, but there's so much more going on. And because this is such a nuanced issue, I do think we really need to be careful about making blanket statements about why certain things are happening. Hmm. So let me expand or make you expand on that. I imagine there's a listener out there that when they hear you say men are doing horrible in our society today, they strongly disagree with you, right? So please defend your position. What did you mean by that? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think there's been a, I think there's been a large, um, push in the past several generations, right. About, uh, equality between the genders, right? We had the big feminist movements and women have made tremendous gains and right. We were, we should be very happy that they've made tremendous gains and we should right. continue to encourage um, that they fight for equality in those, in those spheres uh, where, you know, it's a little bit still lacking. Right. But at the same time, I think men have taken major steps back in a lot of uh, in a lot of areas um, that aren't being highlighted enough. So one thing that I want to talk about specifically is um, so actually the gender gap in college degrees. Right. I want I want to make that my primary point here. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the gender gap in college degrees, did you know that the gender gap in college degrees is actually wider today than what it was in 1970s? No, I didn't know that. Um, right. And I, I knew there were more women um, going to uh, uh, college. And, you know, I didn't take away from the Pew study that it, it purely blamed it on porn either, because I think a lot of things that they were talking about were economic influences, which I thought were very interesting. Um, perhaps are women um, dating older men? And so maybe that's why, at least in that age demographic, we're seeing a lot more individuals not engage and not feel interested in the dating marketplace because maybe economically they don't really have much to provide. I, I mentioned like the cost uh, house of living issue earlier. And now you're referring to, you know, the college differences, which I definitely acknowledge. And I also think like, you know, a lot of manufacturing jobs have moved away. Um, I think we need to make much more of an investment in uh, like trade school training kind of thing. Um, because I think economic viability is a component that uh, is suck out, seeked out, <laughs> sought out. Yeah, there absolutely. we go. Sought out. Absolutely. I said it right. In, yeah. in, in the mail versus like there are gender differences where a lot of the top things could potentially can be different for men when they're pursuing a partner. Right. And, and that's a great point, Logan. And, um, you know, especially for younger men, right, especially men in their 20s, um, their financial capabilities aren't necessarily where it's uh, representative of what they're going to be bringing in for a majority of their careers. Um, well, so or even what it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Right. Um, what a 25 year old was potentially able to accomplish in an, an economy, purchase a house, right. um, you know, a one income family rather than two kind of thing. Right. And if you compare the income of an average 25 year old versus the average income of an average 35 year old, right, the 25 year old, they're a decade behind their career. They essentially stand no chance. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe that is a possible explanation why um, so many young men, especially in that age demographics, are checking out, which brings me to my next point, Logan. Are you familiar with the term hypergamy? 
Um, no. Okay, so I was when I first saw that word, I was like, I, I thought it was polygamy, right? I was like, okay, having multiple wives. Okay, I've heard of that before. So actually, this is from the Wikipedia page on hypergamy. So hypergamy is defined as a term that is used in social science for the act or practice of a person dating or marrying a spouse of higher social status or sexual capital than themselves. So generally speaking, men, um, they prefer across cultures, spouses who have higher sexual capital than themselves versus women who across cultures generally prefer men who are of higher social status. So in terms of positions um, or in terms of just economic capabilities, right? And, you know, I think this is something that's been talked about a lot, but I was actually very... Um, very surprised to see some of the research that was conducted. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you about these research and I wanna hear your thoughts. Okay, so, um, and again, my source here is that Wikipedia page on hypergamy. So if you're interested, you can check it out yourself as well. Um, but here we go. Research conducted throughout the world strongly supports the position that women prefer marriage with partners who are culturally successful or have high potential to become culturally successful. The most extensive of these studies included 10,000 people in 37 cultures across six continents and five islands. Women rated good financial prospect higher than men did in all cultures. In 29 samples, the ambition and industrialness of a prospective mate was more important for women than for men. Meta-analysis of research published from 1965 to 1986 revealed the same-sex differences and across and across studies, three out of four women rated socioeconomic status as more important in a partner than the average men. So a significant proportion of women compared to men um, value economic perspective of their potential spouse. And we, you touched upon this a little bit, right? Um, and I did as well, right? The lack of uh, um, college degrees for men, right? Traditionally speaking, if you have a higher degree, on average, you have a higher salary. Um, I mentioned that the gender gap in college degrees is wider today than it was in the 1970s, but in the opposite direction. For every 100 bachelor degree that's awarded to women today, only 74 are awarded to men. And also the traditionally masculine jobs that didn't require a bachelor degree, such as one in manufacturing, uh, maybe like the oil industry, those jobs have largely been sent abroad in, um, you know, in this in this global economy that we have, and there are also a, a significant amount of of them have been eliminated already because of AI. And mm -hmm. I also worry that the trend, you know, is, is obviously only going to continue to eliminate jobs. So the economic prospects of men are looking more dire and dire and dire. And we know, you know, these studies show that females, they, uh, they, they value the economic prowess of a man. So what does that say for the perspective of future in men's dating world? I don't know. I think it's pretty bleak. What are your thoughts, Logan? Well, I mean, it just makes me also curious, you know, if, if we are living in a world that uh, is educating more uh, the rate of women at a higher degree, than men, you know, I, I do anticipate potential pain points, right? I think men, you know, we've talked about many times on this channel, more prone to completed suicide attempts, meaning they get the job done, right? Uh, more prone to substance abuse issues. I think all of these things could uh, potentially contribute here. But also talking about all of this, you know, I wonder 50 years from now, right, how society is going to look different. If those desires between men than desiring uh, pursuing a partner that is of higher socioeconomic 
capital, right? Or versus what was the other word you you used? Like physical Sexual capital. There we go. It, how's that going to change, right? And I wonder, like, if we do live in a society that perhaps maybe, uh, you know, there's different economic opportunities, right? Because historically, of course, men have been more had more opportunities for economic capital. Can these things change? You know, can we almost see a flip flop? in the culture? Is that possible? So it almost makes me kind of excited and scared simultaneously, right? Um, but I do think the answer to this is, you know, addressing the online dating experience, because it sounds like it's crappy for both parties in some regard. Um, uh, porn addiction, and then also economic opportunities for men, because I do think that the the road to prosperity economically should not just be through a college degree. I think it has to be much more diverse than that. And and I know for a fact, right, that we are not investing enough in trade educations to train electricians, to train plumbers, um, all these other kind of jobs similar to that, that are needed in our society. Um, right. And I, I and I think that was done purposely, right? We just we just we spent the entire generation telling our youth that going to college is the answer. And we've even to a certain degree, vilified, um, you know, vocational positions that are extremely valuable in um, in culture today. Um, I do think there's a kind of a reverse trend in this matter. I do see a lot more um, advocacy for um, encouraging high school students to consider vocational school rather than going the you know the bachelor route. And I do I do hope that that makes a difference for uh, the economic viability and the subsequent downstream positive mental health benefits um, for men. And Logan, I'm very interested in hearing what your opinions are about how you would like to see dating applications change. Um, what, what, what do you think is the answer here? What do you think is the major flaw and how can we make it a better experience? And let's, let's, let's do this you know, as a thought experiment where the economics of it don't matter. Right. Um, well, I'm not even going to come up with a new idea here. And I wish I knew the actual name of this, but I don't. My, I have a friend who um, is single, um, but attempting to pursue a partner. He's been very frustrated on these online apps. And he told me about this, this online community, in a sense, where you don't engage with others necessarily online, but it's like, hey, um, we are these group, uh, this online group, um, that is all going to meet up at this club on to Wednesday evening. And they wear all this, like, uh, I know I feel like I'm describing a cult right now, but I'm not, they all wear this like ring or this bracelet that kind of signifies to other people in the room, like, oh, I am a person that identifies as single and I'm actively looking for a partner. So like, maybe if you see someone with that bracelet on, it's like, oh, like, I feel more comfortable approaching that person because so many people I feel like describe this tremendous fear of rejection, right? I think that is such a tremendous way to stimulate dating experiences, right? I feel like it's so hard um, to engage in, in really meaningful conversation through text message versus seeing someone's facial expression as you make a stupid joke, right? Or making someone smile, complimenting them when <clears throat> you're in the presence of them. I really would love to see that. And as, as a, like, maybe there's still messaging components to that, but really forcing individuals to meet up in person in a more organic way. The traditional way. So you, you're advocating Traditional for... with online component into with it online, and, and a okay. cult-like bracelet, maybe. Yeah, like a hybrid. And I didn't make this idea up. It already exists. I just don't remember the name. So look it up. Not taking any claim. Right. Um, I think it sounds great. My only reservation is that 
going forward, are are people willing to participate in such a such an endeavor? And I say that because I mean, we've been through the COVID pandemic, right? We went through years of uh, social isolation, lockdowns. I think it's uh, at the minimum is safe to say that our our social skills have atrophied to a certain degree. People aren't as comfortable striking up conversations with strangers. And on top of that, what complicates the dating world is a lot of people, especially with um, the last several years, um, there's been a lot of focus on, you know, the Me Too movement, sexual assaults, harassments. And I think a lot of people are um, increasingly careful um, because because they don't want to come off as too creepy or you know right. like overdoing it so there was already you know this fear of rejection right fear of approaching somebody that you don't know and taking a chance on that but i think there's another level of hesitation that young men today have in terms of um trying to read the other person right if i if i come up to this girl and i say like oh i i, I love the way your hair looks for example is that comment going to be interpreted um, as as something that's potentially um, in, in the realm of harassment? Right. Um, I, and, and I think I don't really have a good answer there. And I think that's uh, that's a lot of fear. You know, that that in itself is a fear that men have because they don't know what the answer is. And there seems to be it, it depends on the person. Right. Um, like so one person, you know, there's been stories like one person what one person describes as um, harassment. Another person may not describe it as harassment, right? Um, so one one story that I heard was like, uh, you know, like a couple, you know, like somebody, a guy met a girl at a bar and they had sex that night, right? And after they had intercourse, um, the guy kind of put his arms around the girl, and the girl was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, you got to ask for permission." Um, and, and the guy was taken aback. He said, "Oh, sorry, like I didn't know. Sorry, you know, I'll be more respectful." And going forward in his um, in his subsequent relationships, he asked the same question. And what he described was that he would be questioned um, by other people saying, like, why are you asking? Like, you need to just do it. You're ruining the mood. So, like, what is the right answer? It, it, it's like case by case dependent. Right. So I think that ambiguity um, may potentially contribute to added hesitation when it comes to approaching prospective dating partners in the in-person setting. All right, Logan, we're about half an hour in. Final points. All right, final point. There was one thing I did not mention earlier, June, that I wanted to show you. So I thought this was extremely interesting. Um, this is talking about gender differences that find it uh, very or somewhat difficult to find people on the dating apps. This is specifically going back to dating apps. So people who reported having a difficult time uh, physically attracted to someone on the app really produced a rather significant difference. Men reported 21% of the time they had a difficult time finding someone that they were physically attracted to mm. versus women reported a 36% of the time they had a difficult time finding someone on these dating apps that they were physically attracted to. I find this so odd because like we highlighted earlier, more men are on these apps than women. So is it that women potentially have their physical standards higher than men do that they would engage in kind of a dating experience? I wasn't really sure what to make of this. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, in a way, I'm very saddened to see these statistics because I think there's an overemphasis about physical beauty in our culture already as it is today. And I worry that with the advent of online dating, 
right? That's basically what you're dwindled down to. It's just your picture and what, like three, four lines that people see. But it's mostly, I would say like a vast majority of it is purely visual, right? right? What do you really do? You look at the picture and you decide in a split second whether whether or not you're feeling it. Um, but I, I think, you know, what, like, so what's the purpose of dating, right? Is it just for casual sex or is it something that's meant to, um, you know, form a deeper relationship? Um, because when we talk about relationships, right, how important is physical attractiveness really to building a successful relationship? I would argue to a certain degree, yes, it, there has to be mutual attraction, but do you really need to be in like the 99th percentile of physical attraction to have successful relationship? No. And we see evidence of that all around the world, right? A vast majority of human beings today, of course, they're not in the 1% of physical attractiveness, but they have very successful relationships, even marriages and um, family life, um, essentially. So, you know, I, I worry whenever I see these dating statistics that as a culture where we're sending out a message that attractiveness is what you need to look for in a relationship rather than the things, the qualities um, that makes for successful relationships, qualities like forgiveness, patience, right, understanding, empathy. Um, and at the end of the day, relationships aren't you know, it can be a very challenging and even an ugly thing from time to time, right? There is going to be conflict going forward. Mm -hmm. It's a part of a relationship. It's part of that growth. Um, so are we are we diminishing? Um, are we sending this message that those qualities aren't shouldn't be at the forefront of what you look for when looking for a partner? Right, right, right. So, you know, I want to talk about now, like what our potential patient could look like who we're trying to help in this episode, right? Um, a man who's not interested in dating, who feels like he's constantly rejected and now has developed a pretty mean porn addiction. How are we going to try to advise this person? How would you meaningfully try to actually steer this person in the right direction? Well, I think you can only do what you can, right? Obviously, at the end of the day, like we're, we're psychiatrists, but we're just doctors. We're human beings. We're not freaking God. You can't change somebody's behavior. Um, I think the only thing we can do is share our knowledge on what it means to live a meaningful life, right? What values should you pursue to have the greatest chance um, for, for you to reflect on uh, when you're on your deathbed, right? Reflect on a life well lived. How do you have the best chance um, to end up in that kind of situation? Is it going to be um, chasing pornography, going for those momentary pleasures. Um, and essentially at the end of the day, you end up partnerless. You don't have a family uh, when you're when you're at the end of your life um, because the decisions that you make today is what's going to lead to the realities of tomorrow. And we need to we need to emphasize that um, we need to bring that to the forefront of our patients, um, you know, consciousness. Yeah, I mean, if, if that patient was sitting in, in my office or, you know, virtual office, I guess, like this one day, I actually would really want to try to target the porn addiction first. I think, you know, that's a sense, in a sense how we, we as psychiatrists approach problems, right? Like, okay, well, what's the chief complaint? What's the biggest issue? Where, what's the biggest pain point? Because I, my two cents is I wonder if addressing porn addiction and helping someone correct um, that in their life, if maybe would lead them into being more willing to actually engage in, uh, dating and pursuing a mate because pursuing a mate can of course be painful, right? Uh, getting rejected, getting your heart broken. We both have been there. Porn's easy. Click, 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 jerk, jerk, jerk. You're done, right? More jerk, uh, jerk, uh, jerk. Uh, erotic alone time, you know, easy peasy, you know, you can get it on your cell phone. There's probably soon going to be an Apple watch that it comes out on. Um, it's likely that porn's even going to get 
the experience is going to be virtual reality. It probably already is, right? All these crazy things. So this is what I worry about. I feel like this porn addiction world is only going to get worse and worse and worse. There's an approach that I, I talk to a lot about with my um, patients who deal with substance use issues and trying to couple a craving with rather than an unhealthy behavior with a healthy behavior. So I would, you know, because we're November and I'm rocking a mustache, I'm, let's imagine I'm talking to a male who's living with severe porn addiction issues. You know, I would ask and, and try to encourage, you know, when you have that craving to look at porn, what kind of behavior do you think would lead to maybe you successfully obtaining a mate who you could potentially have a romantic relationship? You know, something easy that jumps to the mind is like exercise, right? Um, but we both acknowledge that it's not purely physical um, attractiveness that, that attracts a mate. Perhaps it's also economic viability. We talked about that a lot. Maybe that craving to engage in, in online <laughs> alone erotic time, as we discussed, maybe that could be a motivation to pursue uh, a trade school training, pursue um, going to school, um, just earning more money in some capacity, trying to build some of these healthy coping skills to take away from that porn addiction. Because I think if we can successfully address porn addiction, perhaps that that individual pr would pursue their sexual desires in a more healthy way. And what I mean by that is actually engaging with a real person instead of erotic alone time. You know, going on maybe... And I don't think online dating apps is necessarily always the best way to go, but at least pursuing dating in some capacity. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I, I largely agree with that, Logan. Um, and I think the issue is always how do you motivate a person to make the changes that you feel like is going to lead to a better outcome? Um, one of the techniques that I found to be very effective is helping that individual recognize what kind of impact is having on them in terms of their mood. Like, is this something that's contributing to their anxiety or depression? Why are you even going to pornography in the first place? Is it because in the moments of anxiety is something that you find comfort in? I don't know. That may be a potential explanation. And how do you feel after you have erotic alone time, right? Erotic alone time. Er erotic alone time. Is this, is this an activity that you feel re-energized coming out of? Do you have positive emotions coming out of it? Because I would argue that many people feel even more depressed and even more dejected after they've had that little session with themselves. Right. So I right. think, you know, having, you know, helping somebody recognize um, the negative emotions that it's having, even in that moment, is a very important first step to increasing motivation and increasing insight that's going to help them moving forward. Right. Right. You know, and I, I just want to quickly, because we're psych residents here, kind of talk about a little bit of brain anatomy. And like, you know, I think there needs to be also a sense of forgiveness, sympathy for yourself if you're dealing with one of these porn addiction issues. And, and here's what I mean by that. You know, there's been studies that, you know, when a rat, a male rat was placed in a, a fenced area with another female rat, they would engage in sexual activity. If they removed that female rat and brought in a different uh, female rat, that male rat would once again pursue in sexual act activity and so on and so on and so forth. Until the, the rat would get so exhausted that it could like barely even move kind of thing. This is because, you know, our sexual desires are so innate to our limbic brain, our mammalian, our reptilian brain, our most like deepest desires that we of course don't even really fully understand, of course, to evolutionarily, uh, 
continue your gene pool, right? That, getting down to all of this. Your limbic system, so your most deep part of your brain, can hijack the other parts of your brain. And what I mean by that, the, the prefrontal cortex, what we always say, like the areas right behind your temple um, in your forehead is what makes good decisions, what thinks through things. Is this actually a proper decision? When your limbic system is so severely hijacked, your operating system in the front part of your brain does not work. This is essentially how all addictions work. It's just really brain chemistry in a sense. And so I think if, if a person living with porn addiction can understand like I'm living with a true addiction, like this is my limbic system getting hijacked because, oh, I have this craving, I'm pursuing it in the easiest way possible, boom. When in reality, if you think about, like you kind of talked about the other desires of having a partner, you know, having that human connection, going through the ups and lows of life together and having that kind of camaraderie can be such a satisfying experience, but it does require much more effort, much more time, energy, like you described. And so I think it's, it's, really trying to admit the problem for what it is. This isn't an addiction and giving that patient all the services that we can to try to address this. And that's how I think we solve this problem. Well said, Dr. Logan Noon. All right. But there. All right. Great Movember episodes. Cheers. Woo. Men's mental health. Boom.